This is a Bergen Film Club podcast. Like an old movie, removed from frame, I am floating and looking for someone to blame. Won't you project me on the walls of your heart? Hello, and welcome back to The Function of Film, a special season run by The Real Thing, presented by The Real Thing, presented, produced, projected by Bergen Film Club. In this special season, I am talking to industry professionals about the function of film. How does the cinema literally work behind the scenes, sound, music, projection, all of it. Today, we have the rest of the interview, the part two of the interview with Lexi Reisberg talking all about film projection. This was a super interesting talk. We talked about sort of the future of projection uh, in terms of the digitalization of uh, film projecting also where we see ourselves in the future but also to see ourselves from the future we have to understand the past so it was a really cool and in-depth talk about the changing sort of um, landscape of this profession so it was really really interesting and super cool so here is the rest of the interview so we talked about this briefly earlier that maybe maybe sort of the introduction Production of automation and digitalization of projectionists and projectors um, wasn't necessarily such a horrible thing. But before digital projectors, it was much more common, like you mentioned earlier, to have these uh, crews working together. Mm-hmm. And then introduction to where with certain technologies, certain automation basically meant that it only then needed to be one person. Mm-hmm. And then I think that this led to allowing cinemas to have more and more screens and some of the technologies that you talked about before about the running the same reel across multiple screens. Yeah, the interlocking and the yeah, yeah the platter systems, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so um, sort of yeah. Yeah, I mean platters, um I think so the first multiplex in the UK was built in nineteen eighty five. Um platter right. systems had come in before then. Uh, a bit before then, um, and that's sort of from the 1950s onwards is when cinemas were sort of twinning and tripling. So where there had been one one single screen cinemas, um, they were sort of being chopped up into sort of two or three screens. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of that kind of was already happening, and um, some of them were sort of real to real, but then gradually the platter systems start coming in, um, and then yeah, that's when 1980s. Uh, was when the multiplex absolutely sort of took off and that's when um platter systems were absolutely necessary because there was no way um you could have 10 screens to do reel to reel um i mean in that case you'd need 20 projection uh 20 projectors and effectively um you know 10 10 or 12 depending on how how long a day was potentially 10 to 20 projectionists um so yeah um the platter systems absolutely made that happen 
also um, the fact that some of it was semi-automated. Um, people often don't understand how that works with film, but I can try and sort of explain. Um, so they're basically, um, you said earlier about the functions of like the auditorium lights um, and sort of things like sound switching. Yeah. Um, these could actually be programmed into a computer. Um, that was sort of the, the later iteration of it. And we'd have these foil strips called cues or pulses um, that you'd put on the film in a very specific area and in a specific way. And when that foil strip went through um, and it was it was read by a reader, it would then tell the computer, oh, the lights need to come down or even the projector needs to start. So you'd still need the projections to actually put the film in the projector. But if you then set the projector to ready, um, you could program in the time on the computer and uh, the film projector would start at that specific time. Um, so yeah, uh, the automation systems actually got quite sophisticated uh, before it went fully digital. Um, mm. So it meant that you could run a 10 screen cinema now, before the computer, there were things like pegboards uh, and sort of matrix um, uh, matrix boards, which did a similar thing, but it, it wasn't quite as sophisticated. But certainly um, from the sort of, definitely from the 70s, 80s, those sort of things were sort of happening to the profession. Um, mm-hmm. You know, people were calling it the end back then. But projectionists were even calling it the end in the 1920s uh, when sound technology came in. So yeah, there's, wow. there's, there's always this, there's always this, uh, yeah, Military. I still had each technical sort of, um, uh, I don't want to say, it, it, evolution um, kind of led to this kind of panic in projectionists. Um, I mean, to be fair with digital, that was quite difficult it different because mm-hmm. um it meant that quite a lot of projectionists at that point were made redundant yeah um so it was a large sort of scaling back of um the human element of the profession or at least um at the sort of projector end of it um yeah but yeah certainly <laughs> yeah certainly um things were different things have been different for a long time and as new technologies came in so yeah, almost like a sort of resistance to change. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you think? Yeah, okay. And I don't want to say that of all projectionists because a lot of projections are very techy and they they really love sort of trying out new things. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's my experience of a lot of people that I've worked with. But there are certainly there are or were certainly a lot of projectionists as well that yeah were sort of very suspect of new technology and. Um, felt like it wasn't properly showing the film and um I mean I I, I mentioned in that documentary actually that um when I started as projectionist I was looked down upon because I worked in a multiplex. Um so one of the derogatory terms that was used was either popcorn pusher or machine minder. Mm-hmm. Um popcorn pusher kind of means that um you moved up into projection from working front of house in the cinema. So yeah. I got my job in production because I started off in front of house. Now that was seen as derogatory because um, proper projectionists, um, as some of these other projectionists <laughs> thought, were hired from outside the cinema environment and went directly into learning uh, projection as I a see. trade. 
that that was one of the sort of terms but that was because it was a social change that had happened it was a sort of professional change that had happened but a lot of the older productionists weren't having it um but from the cinema's point of view you get to actually um have people that are working around film and are sort of learning different aspects of the cinema and then you know a manager seeing if they can be trusted or not you know do they turn up to work on time you know if you're hiring from the outside you don't necessarily have that confidence yeah. to stay yeah. which i think is why um socially it's sort of changed um but yeah that was one of the sort of things i came across and the second one machine minder was basically um because it wasn't real to real um there's a little bit of automation involved i mean the thing is the skill was still there it's just um easier easier yeah absolutely yeah um but then that happened the same sort of things happened when the maths changed i mentioned xenon lamps earlier um they sort of came in uh, i think late 1950s and before then it had been carbon up which mm-hmm. required the projectionist to do the changeovers but you also had to keep the two rods uh, of carbon in contact with and well not quite in contact but contact but you had to get the arc between them lit um to create the light for the show and that required sort of moving them in um mm-hmm. and adjusting them throughout the show so when once Xenons came in, you just had to press the button, turn the lamp on, and it was there and lit for the rest of the show. So there's always been these kind of neighbor-saving elements that have come in over time. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, to be honest, when the film projectionists were first uh, made, they were hand-cranked. The projectionists had to physically turn a handle and had to get the speed, um, try and get the wow. speed as uh, smooth as possible, but often <laughs> that wasn't the case. <laughs> and then eventually motors came in. So if you look all the way back through history, um, you can see these sort of things coming in. But absolutely, when I started in the early 2000s, um, you know, I was I was uh, not a proper projectionist. Because, wow. um, I, I, I was working in a cinema that was doing platter-based projection at the time. So, hmm. um, yeah, it's, it was just one of those weird... I, I feel like it's always been there, this kind of looking down on the newer technologies and the newer people coming into the profession. Mm. And I ha- I do see it a little bit now, I think, with uh, people that have started off with digital and haven't yet learnt film or might just only be working with digital. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. like uh, kind of a pervasive fear of being phased out, I guess. Yeah. And, and maybe people are right, you know, maybe based on sort of, um, you know, the large redundancies that happened between 2011 and 2013, you know, maybe there's a point, but um, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think, uh, <laughs> I think sometimes it's a prof- it's absolutely a profession that steeps in tradition. And I think, you know, tradition sort of comes through a lot for people. So I think that's potentially why those, you know, people sometimes felt that way. Yeah, but then, you know, on the flip side, I'm making I'm making a lot of the older projectionists sound horrible. You know, so many of them were so lovely. Just want to you to say that, you know, and, and accepting as well. Um, yeah, but I've so. I've only learned digital at this moment, and I think I've projected about ten times now. But I I mean, oh. I feel like I would love to learn the real to real kind of thing because. It feels like more like not that the digital production isn't an art or uh, this showmanship kind of thing, but it 
the reel-to-reel for me seems like more of an art form than kind of pushing some buttons uh, in a way, I guess. And in some ways, running running a reel-to-reel show is just pushing buttons. I mean, it's about yep. to start a projector, <laughs> turn your lamp on, to do your changeover. So again, yeah, it's just, it's that kind of labor saving that comes in um, that makes things smoother. But digital's a good place to start because, um, you know, that's where you can start laying the ratios and things. And that, yeah. that knowledge is going to be extremely valuable. Um, it kind of feels to me like a, almost like a kind of l- limited stress way to learn it because... I don't know, just the idea of handling the film seems quite stressful to me. Well, yeah, I can understand that. I mean, it, I, even though I, I was strange, there was effectively a point where, you know, I felt like I didn't know much. Um, you know, there was a huge a lot a, amount to learn still, but um, it was effectively a sink or swim moment, the, point, the first point when I was left on my own. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people did, didn't swim <laughs> you know, and that, no. was, that was there they were kicked right out the door so mm. yeah there is that kind of there is that kind of point where um i know what, i know what you mean <laughs> okay yeah. i know what you mean yeah. but um yeah you know digital is a really great place to start and i'm sure you'll be i'm sure you'll be fine yeah i hope so i found one of the most uh yeah i won't be sheepish about it but i feel like there was a lot of uh older men kind of having these very melodramatic uh, moments in the documentary. One of my quotes that I pulled from that was that he said he feels like he was working in a sweet shop that shows films. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah that was yeah. Quite, yeah, very much, yeah, very much um, multiplex, that would be. Mm. I think, well, one is, I know what they're talking about, so... Um, if you're in a small independent cinema, and whether mm-hmm. the focus is on the art of it and on the art of projection, um, it's not so much getting the audiences in and out. Um, whereas um, I think when these kind of famous, massive, you know, <laughs> multiplexes started appearing, mm-hmm. um, it did feel to them that the focus was on like the popcorn and. Um, you know, selling selling the food and stuff. Mm. Um, it was it was just done very differently. I think things just socially changed, um, and that that's what it was. It was just, um, and yeah, I think they often felt you know if you've got ten screens, you're not paying as much attention to each screen as just a single screen. Mm-hmm. Now I. I don't personally. I don't feel that's the case because I know that when I worked in a ten screen cinema, you know, I put as much as humanly possible into making sure my shows were as perfect as can be because that's me. On you know, attention to details really important. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did mean I had to run a lot. Because <laughs> 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 if I had a show starting, uh, you know, my projector's about to start at screen five, which is down one end of the projection room. Um, but then maybe screen number nine or something was the next one. It was going to go, it's going to change the ratio after the adverts into the uh, feature, which potentially was a different ratio. So it was important for me to be back there and check that that ratio change went okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it did mean a lot of running around. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and then yeah, absolutely, ideally, um, it would have been great if there were more people 
Um, but that's just not how the way it worked. It wasn't the way it worked then. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think just things changed. Um, and I think it, it was just felt that the focus was less on the art and more on sort of just the money. Um, mm-hmm. That's why I think people comment in that sort of yeah. way. Mm-hmm. You've mentioned a couple times and I can uh, kind of put it in afterwards to describe it but you mentioned the sort of uh moment that all of everyone's worries came alive in 2011 with the huge numbers of redundancies could could you describe a little bit what happened then maybe what led up to that moment yeah i mean i think the exhibition industry had resisted bang digital for a long time no the technology was there um because a lot of cinemas were like, well, we have a system. We have film prints. It works. Why should I buy something new? <laughs> like, yeah. why, should I, why should I change anything? I'm making money. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but then there was a push. And, um, you know, uh, digital projectors um, started coming in. Um, I was actually one of the first cinemas to receive one. And it was actually really interesting and cool when it, it did appear. And I was just really interested in learning what I could with it. Um and at the time, uh, there were training courses offered as well. And I went on a few training courses because it did. So one of the things I could tell you how I felt, like I did feel worried before it came in because I, sending those projections very, very manual, like sensual, like I'm using a lot of my senses for it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm using touch. Um, I'm using, I'm using even smell because, uh, for instance, when acetate base starts degrading, um, it produces acetate acid, which is basically vinegar. So if you open a real oh. can and you smell vinegar, then you know the print's starting to degrade and potentially the picture could be quite pink. Um, so I'm also using, uh, I'm using my eyes, I'm using sight. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm using all of these and hearing. You know, I would know the pitch of my projectors and I could tell if something potentially was going to go wrong just from a slight pitch change. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I was hearing. So I was using a lot of my senses and it was just very physical. So I really didn't know how I'd react to something that was just digital, computerized. I I, I really wasn't sure. Um, but when I did get chance to sort of um, play around, I discovered I really, really liked it and it was just really, really interesting. And for me, it was just a newer uh, and different format to sort of utilizing my arsenal yeah. film section um but it was really difficult because uh yeah sort of between 2011 and 2013 i you know practically most of my colleagues were made redundant um and some of them for different reasons as well some of them some of them were sort of of retirement age anyway so they still sort of saw it as their chance to retire others mm-hmm. um had no interest in in digital production they generally felt like it was you know the end of an era and it just wasn't something that was you know it was just going to get rid of showmanship um others tried to, to to work with it but really found that they couldn't it just was so sort of foreign to to what they were used to that they just couldn't okay. sort of um transition to it either um and others unfortunately who could take to it just there weren't enough jobs left for them to yeah. kind of 
Um, I mean, one of the ways I personally navigated it was to actually take a job and all. So I, st- I, I was in a management position at that point, and I was also a sort of engineer level trained. Um, but I stepped down into a protectionist position just to take um, a job at an all digital cinema, one of the first in the country, just so I could learn, be at the forefront of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the reasons that I was able to sort of uh, survive. Um, and I think it was probably two years where I. It, well, what was interesting is uh, it wasn't fully trusted at the start, so we actually ran film backups. So even even though the audience was yeah. a digital show, uh, we were still running film backups because that was the more trusted. Yeah. <laughs> at that point, it was the more trusted uh, sort of medium. Um, but eventually, sort of that got phased out, and the producers did sort of get ripped out. But um, um, yeah, like. I just threw myself into it, and there was probably two years where I didn't protect Samuelloid at all. Um, mm-hmm. After their backups have sort of been removed, so, um, it, but it was difficult because uh, I I had friends, you know, um, different projectionists from across the country, and it was heartbreaking to see that um, one of the guys I trained with, um, he. They literally had to rip their own projection room apart and kind of get the projectors out. And I think the projectors are probably going to be like put in the scrap or something. I'm not entirely mm-hmm. sure where they went. Uh, and you know that was their last day. You know they pulled, they had to rip the projection room apart, and then they were made redundant. So like oh, seeing stuff like that was kind of quite heartbreaking. It kind yeah, of did happen. Um, so yeah, it was it wasn't an easy time. Um, there, or there, and there was just a lot of uncertainties around how things have changed or. Um, but you know, um, there is a resurgence in celluloid now, absolutely, and there are absolutely still productionists working in the country. And, um, you know, I think it, uh, it's one of those things that's now, it's now niche, it's not, it's not the, the norm or the standard, but it's absolutely mm-hmm. still holding its own and it's absolutely there as a, another medium. And, um, that's great. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, that's something I just wanted to ask about. Is uh, like you mentioned, there has been sort of a resurgence in the last few years, um, and th- and that's really how I also became. Uh, I'm like I'm not that old, so uh, I was born in '98, I guess. So when I was going to the cinema, I would never really think about what it was being shown on because it was probably just digital. But then from going to this independent cinema that I mentioned, then they would explicitly say, like, this is being shown on film. And that's how I learned about it. But I was wondering if uh, you think that this resurgence is genuine or if it's uh, just kind of a novelty of specific directors or even uh, the industry itself. Uh, I, I think it's genuine. It's absolutely genuine. It's it's not going to go away. And there's, there's quite a few different reasons for that. Um so one of the things now is its status has kind of been elevated. It's a bit like mm-hmm. vinyl in that respect. There's a kind yeah, of definitely. there's a kind of like um, following for it. Mm. So that's absolutely one of the um, the reasons that I feel that it will hold steadfast. The other is that there have been so many films made since the inception of film, and so many of them have not been digitized. If you were to actually look into it, the back back catalogue of what has been digitized. Um, it is quite small. <laughs> so there's yeah, a huge okay. amount of films. So there are many that you can't get. 
for whatever reason, there's there, and again, there's countless reasons, um, you know, on a digital format or a DCP format. So, mm-hmm. um, how do you see that built? Well, the only option potentially might be print to, to sell yeah. it. So, that's a good um, point. And then there are archives all around the world, you know, who have been looking after prints. Um, and if they're stored correctly, they can last for a, for a long, long time. Um, and again, you might need to speak to an archivist about this, but my understanding is that celluloid is still, as long as it's preserved correctly, the better archive medium, or at least, um, uh, because, you know, with digital, it, it does degrade over time. I mean, celluloid degrades over time, but I believe there's more risk um, with digital degradation. Um, okay. So I believe archives are using a mixture of um, types of uh, storage to actually look after films for the future, and some of that is on celluloid. So um, that's absolutely another reason as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also as well, you know, there's questions around, um, you know, especially with early film. Um, digital wasn't a technology that was around then, and absolutely, there's some really good sort of um, digital conservation going on which is great but then is that what the direction envisaged you know if you've worked on film and you've um you've cut cut your film on film and then you've had your film print printed and then it was exhibited on celluloid mm-hmm. um that aesthetic is very very different to a, yeah. a digital aesthetic so there's a sort of a subtle question about you know how it's how it's viewed so and for that reason, as you just mentioned a minute ago, there are some directors who still currently like working with film. Um, there's there's a handful of them actually. So, um, and it's important to them um, to be able to have that freedom and facility to do that. Um, yeah. So it's um, it's an artistic choice for them. So um, it's and why why should you say to an artist, oh, you can't work in that media? <laughs> so, mm, yeah. I think I think for those reasons, um, it will absolutely you know keep going. Um, the challenges though that are being faced is no new film projectors are being made. Um, the projectors that everyone are using are pretty much 60, 50, even even older years old. Wow, okay. And that's fine. They can be maintained. In fact, they're easier. They don't have the same kind of obsolescence that digital projectors have. Um, you know, when the software or new sort of uh, yeah, right. Boards come in. Um, uh, in fact, a lot of the projectors I work on are probably um, from the 1950s. So the fact that they're still running just shows, you know, yeah, it's that it's great. But there is a question over how do we get parts for it when it does break down. Um, mm. That's kind of challenges we're facing because a lot of the companies that made them don't exist anymore or they don't make them anymore. So mm-hmm. there are a lot of challenges to be faced in how we keep things running. And the flip side of that is film prints. Um, not all the film, film prints are in archives. Um, mm. Some have been saved or collected um, by um, organizations, others even just by personal people who just personally managed to save them from skips or whatever. Um, and... Uh, some of the stores are in sort of temperature or controlled environments and film does degrade. So if it's not stored in a particular humidity in a particular temperature that will slow down the degradation, then there's this kind of difficulty in the film print 
uh, you know, sort of being shown for the future. And I mentioned earlier about acetate that can get quite pink uh, and it starts something as vinegar. Um, the reason it goes pink is because the plastic, celluloid is basically a type of plastic, it breaks down and interacts with the um, chemicals that make the picture. Uh, mm. And over time, it just goes pink. <laughs> so, yeah, <okay. laughs> it, you know, um, some people might not want to come to the cinema and see the film in pink. No. Um, <laughs> there's other people who maybe understand that it's an extremely rare print um, will be able yeah. with that. Mm-hmm. But then each time film is projected, even if you're the best projectionist in the world and your equipment is spot on, it's still degrading. Um, there's still yeah. stuff that's going to get on it. Um, you know, it, it's just as clean as you are, it's still going to happen. Um, and oil can get on print. You know, um, just the more you handle the print, the more you project it, the more it sort of does get, you know, slowly start to get damaged. So, yeah. um, so film prints, but <laughs> so like just finding a decent print out there is, is another sort of matter. Um, so yeah, there was another sort of um, challenges um, that I think will the future will hold, but. I'm still very confident that it will stay alive. Absolutely. Yeah, those are some really great, great points. It was really a. I think that would be a great selling point almost if you sort of likened it to vinyl. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm not, it's definitely. funny. I, I'm not the first person to. A lot of people, a lot of people yeah. say that. I think. It makes um, sense. Though. Yeah. It's it's that thing of it being. And the mark. But that's the other thing about film print. You know, um, these are things are great and they're all well and good, but at the same time, it's it's kind of a perfect copy, which is definitely definitely got a lot of things going for it because, like I said, it doesn't have that same degradation that film, you know, it's not going to suddenly get scratches on it when you project it for the 10th time to an audience. Yeah. But with a film print, it's got a history to it. You know, it, it potentially could have been all the way around the world um being yeah. projected in different places um uh, i mean there was a film print i showed a few months back that had been rescued from a skip and you know it had a quite an amazing story behind it and you know they, they come with these kind of providences um each film print that you show so it's this kind of historical element to each the physicality of it yeah. which is kind of cool as well um can be kind of nerve-wracking if you're like projecting a director's personal print or something yeah (laughs) but yeah absolutely like it's it's actually a bit of history uh and you know with the nitrate prints that i've shown they're 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 really old some of them are from the 1930s so you know you're 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 literally projecting history yeah Um, i was reading about the nitrate prints uh like it gave, it gives almost this like HD image um, when you're projecting, and I, th- I just thought that was so cool. I think I've always thought that like why some some old films look amazing, but it's kind of like how do they look so good? Uh, it's a really so uh, such a difficult subject. Like so with the you'll see. I don't know if you've looked into it, but you'll certainly see these massive arguments over for digital image or celluloid images is better or not or the resolution and there's so many different um yeah there's so many different sort of factors involved it's a really difficult thing to because um you could shoot a film on on celluloid and then have a digital intermediate and then put it back on celluloid so then so that there's 
uh, there's that. I mean, um, in you certainly have something called blow-ups as well. So, so a mm. film, when it was just celluloid, a film might have been shot on 16 mil, but then blown up to be shown at 35 on 35 mil. Now that would have absolutely made the resolution that's been shown nowhere near as good as something that had been shot and then made on 35 mil. You had that with 70 as well. Um, so, um, and then also, yeah, so I think what they're talking about with, with the nitrate is there was always this perception that the safety bases that came in after just weren't quite as, um, quite, quite as good. Um, and they used, they did use a lot of silver, uh, in, in the prints back then, uh, as part of the chemicals and that did block out sort of light quite well. So you did get this lovely contrast, um, um. on the screen. Um, but then if I'm projecting that print sort of now, um, there's, you know, that it's, we're using xenons, you know, back then it would have been a different light source with a slightly different kind of color space. So it's yeah. all of these, on the, this, even the screens as well, the type of screens over time have changed. Um, the technologies have changed as well. Mm -hmm. So it's so many things about it. It's, it comes yeah. into play mm -hmm. when, um, yeah, that's why I think there is there isn't necessarily a better or yeah. <laughs> so. Mm, yeah, I think you already sort of touched on what the future is quite nicely earlier. But I thought kind of the last thing that I thought would be kind of fun to talk about is um, seventy millimeter as a medium. Um, not particularly, but particularly the new Christopher Nolan film. Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe it's shot on 70mm or will at least be shown on 70mm and it's attempting a world record for ha having like the most screenings through this medium which is pretty cool um, but maybe you could talk a bit about this as a medium as a new medium I suppose and newish and you're uh, I know that you eventually had some training with it as well so if you could just talk about that something mil has actually been around quite a long time so when we when we're saying um i don't know if i described it but when we're saying 35 we're literally talking about millimeters so if you were to take a ruler and you were to look to measure 3.5 centimeters or 35 millimeters it's actually the width of the film so 70 is um is much bigger yes um and you know theoretically when it's shot it means there's a lot more information in the film frame when it's projected so you do get this kind of large enhancement of the image i i really love projecting 70 it's it's great um there was almost there was all, all um there was also imax um mm -hmm. uh 70 mil sets um so 70 mil has five perforations perforations of the holes um, at the side of the film. We only actually count them on the one side for some reason. So theoretically, the 70 mil frame has 10 perforations, but we only say five because we count down the one side. Okay. Now, um, those holes are basically where the, it sits on the sprockets to be able to be transported through the projector. Um, so standard projection is top to bottom. So um, the image comes in from the top of the projector and goes to the bottom of the projector. But what IMAX did was um, flip the film around horizontally and they were able to use, um, they took up 15 perfs, um, and their film frames were absolutely massive. So the kind of information that was um, in them was just uh, amazing, really, the, the, the level of uh, detail recorded. 
Um, and that's, uh, yeah, it's just a very, very unique way of showing film. I actually traveled to Canada uh, in around 2008 um, to train um, as an assistant engineer on the IMAX system because uh, I used to manage one of the IMAX cinemas. So, yeah, it's, it's a really cool mm. system. Um, I have to say, I'm not fully party to what they're doing with Oppenheimer, but um, is it standard 70 or is it IMAX or is it a mixture? Do you know? Or... Uh, no, I don't know. Maybe but... IMAX. So I imagine there's been a few. There's been a few that have come out. There's been definitely a few seventy mil prints that have come out recently. So potentially it's it's standard seventy with a bit of potentially with IMAX as well. But um, it yeah, IMAX. one of the as a format, um, it was more specialist um, because the equipment needed. Um, not every cinema could sort of put them in, mm-hmm. um, and they did design projectors to be able to do some of the projectors that were designed can do both. So you can switch over from 35 mil to 70 mil or standard okay. 70. Um, but not everyone's projectors have that. So even, mm. even back in the sort of seventies and eighties, 70 mil sort of was, I, I don't want to say rare, but it wasn't, it wasn't, it certainly wasn't at every cinema. Mm. Um, it was kind of, you know, the, Maybe the major towns would have it, or cities would have it, but the local sure. centers actually not. And then IMAX even rarer. So um, I can't remember like the amount in the UK when they were all open. That I think uh, um, when I'm talking about the film ones, um, I think it was potentially um, it was under ten, definitely. So yeah, it wasn't you know there wasn't one in every sort of cinema along Court City. You have to travel if you wanted to see see that format. So, yeah. um, um, but I really, I really like Sentinel. Um, it's kind of a really fun gauge to work with. Um, with um, with the newer Sentinel, they don't have an optical soundtrack like thirty five mil does. It's it's okay. D, um, DTS. There's basically a dotted line on on the film and that's actually a time code and that's read on the projector and then it's sent to um a sound processor and the sound processor will have the digital sound of the film loaded on it and it's able to play it back in sync uh, with that time code so this so your sound the sound is kind of really good as well especially with the newer newer prints yeah that's very cool could not think about it when we're watching Oppenheimer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think that's uh, all the questions that I had for you. Oh, thank you for having me. So that is that first wrap up of the first part of Function of Film. Thank you again so much to Lexi. I think for those of you who've listened to the whole thing, she was just a wealth of knowledge, such a interesting person with so much to say about projection and I definitely learned very very much about this and definitely have a much deeper appreciation for the art and looking forward to doing more projecting myself. Thank you very much for listening to part one. Part two will be coming to you in two weeks time on a Wednesday and I really hope that you will check that out. That's going to be all about sound and music in film or applying music and sound to moving image as a medium and will be joined by a very special guest. 
So please stick around for that. It was really cool. But thank you so much for listening. I've been your host, Joe Lawrence, and this has been The Function of Film. Thank you and goodbye. This has been a Bergen Film Club production. Our music is by Wise John. Check them out on Instagram at WISE John Official. Our logo is by Pia Sophia Brentesen. This episode was produced, mixed, and engineered by Joel Lawrence. Our researchers are Inke Schilbgaibern and Mamina Nazmajit. Want to talk to us about films? Then please send us an email at podcast at bergenfilmclub.com. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at TheRealThingPod. Check us out on Letterboxd at BFK The Real Thing. Thank you and goodbye. Listen, follow, leave us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts.